They never mention standards with white men. You never hear the words. It's always when it's black people, mm. people of color, or women. We have standards that we have to keep. I had never seen a woman of colour in a position of authority. I'd never had an example of what I could aspire to. I was asked years ago, when do I think there'll be equality of women in executive roles? And I said, when there are as many female incompetent CEOs as incompetent male CEOs. Hi, I'm Kate Golden at the Walkley Foundation, and this is the Walkley Talks podcast miniseries, Conversations from Storyology, our 2016 Journalism Festival. So you can basically sum up the Australian media's gender issues in three words, mates over merit. That was the title of a very dispiriting survey of women journalists done by our friends at the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance this year. Half the women surveyed said they'd experienced intimidation, abuse or sexual harassment at work. Women make 23% less than men in the media, and the vast number of top leadership positions are held by men. It's time to have a real conversation about how to boost diversity in management. And where better to start than with a group of powerhouse women? To talk mirrortocracy versus meritocracy and the art of calling out inequality, Storyology welcomed activist and mechanical engineer Yasmin Abdelmajid, American tech columnist and head of Recode Media, Kara Swisher, the new ABC managing director, Michelle Guthrie, and Marina Goh, who was then general manager of Hearst Bauer and is a Walkley board member. Here's Marina to take it away. One of the stats that I hate people bragging about is the fact that there are 23.4% of women on um, ASX 200 boards, and it's just, you know... like that's an achievement, right? And, you know, until there's at least 50%, I'm not going to be happy with that. But that's that's only 200 companies, right? It's only 200 corporate companies and it's only in one country. And we know that most, company, most countries are in worse situations and certainly our own industries are in a worse situation. So I want to start with you, Cara, that will go in, will go in early, go in hard. Um, <laughs> within the tech industry... Mm-hmm. We constantly are talking about the fact that there's a lack of encouragement, lack of role models in the STEM areas for women. Mm-hmm. You are clearly a successful woman, so you've, you've managed to break through into um, the senior ranks. Why is it so difficult then for the entire industry to have more women? Well, there's a lot of issues going on, and they always like to point to early STEM, you know, that mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. opt out. That's their, that's their big excuse, yeah. which is an excuse. Yeah. By the way, there's lots of women in the pipeline. There's yeah. not enough anybody in the pipeline, really. But I think it starts with how they teach computer science and the people that are in the classes uh, that take them. Uh, Maria Clawway from Harvey Mudd College in California changed the curriculum of how computer science was taught, and it changed it dramatically. And what they found is they found a lot of things in the way it was taught, in the aggressive way it's taught, mm-hmm. in the all kinds of manners of teaching. There was always, uh, she used to call it the one asshole, there's one <laughs> asshole guy, guy who's in there ruining it for everybody. And it's not just women. It's people of color. Mm. It's other men yep. who aren't comfortable with the way it's taught. Mm. And then when you get to the higher levels, so first you have to change how it's taught. The second part is how you, when you get into companies, how much they pattern map with each mm. other. And they feel comfortable with each other. And they're not, they're not, they're not overtly racist. You know what I mean? Like, which makes it worse. Mm. You can't really call them out on it. They're, they're all sort of very aw shucks, I can't believe this happened. They're always surprised by these statistics. Mm-hmm. And I think they do it because of, you know, they, they use this 
word unconscious bias, yeah. which I hate. I know there's statistics about this, but it's totally conscious. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an excuse for laziness. Laziness is the kindest way to put it. You know what I mean? I, I always say that Silicon Valley thinks of itself as a meritocracy, and I think it's a meritocracy. They see yeah. themselves, they hire themselves, they like themselves, they reward themselves, and they have these advantages they pretend they don't have, you know, all these, these people that are helping each other. And I think the best example, to me, is where you can you know, prove it is on the boards of these companies. These are companies that serve men and women, people of all colors. Twitter's a good example. Enormous, diverse population of people use Twitter. Black Twitter, in fact, is one of the most active users of Twitter. Yeah. Um, and, and women are 60%, something like that. It's some number of the consumers. For many, many years, they had 10 white men of nearly the same age on the board. Yeah. Right? Those are picked. Those are selected. There's lots of great women board members they could have. Ten white men are the same. And in fact, when I wrote a story, I got so mad about it. I wrote a story about it, and, and I, the, the, the people's names even bothered me. There were three, I said there were three Peters and a Dick. Um, which was, <laughs> there were. There was Peter Fenton, Peter Chernin, and Peter uh, Curry, and Dick Costello. And they were hurt by that. Oh, Kara, you're so mean. I'm like, you know. It's funny. That's a funny line. Um, they, but they were very like, when I wrote this piece saying, look at this, they got all like sensitive. They're like, well, we don't mean to. It just happens that way. And they go into this idea of we have standards. That's their favorite thing. We have standards. They never mention standards with white men. You never hear the words. It's always when it's black people, mm. people of color, or women. We have standards that we have to keep. I can tell you for certain at least four people on that board of Twitter, and you can see the results now, yes. were deeply incompetent mm. to be on the boards and didn't even use Twitter. Half the board didn't use Twitter. Yeah. So I, I would, it drives me crazy when they start to do that. Yeah. This is interesting. Sorry to jump on the end of that. This is an interesting bit of research that talks about, and look, specifically talks about women in engineering, but I think it applies across the board with different types of diversity, that the white male is given the privilege of always being deemed competent unless proven otherwise, mm -hmm. and everybody else is deemed incompetent yeah. unless proven otherwise. So you walk into a room as a female engineer and, and you have to prove that you're worth that position. <coughs> and, you know, a, a, a white bloke walks into a room and essentially it's assumed that they're competent unless they, they screw up really badly. Well, I, I, I know that you have to get on, Marina, but no, I have to interject just, just with, with one thing where I, I was asked years ago, when, when do I think there'll be equality of, of you know, women in executive roles? And I said, when there are equally as many female incompetent CEOs as incompetent male CEOs. Yes. And, you know, and it, was, it was sort of, you know, this person that I spoke to kind of looked at me and said, what do you mean? Well, you know, there are a lot of incompetent males. There are actually not that many incompetent females. A few. Yeah, Interesting. a few. <laughs> not many. Well, actually, on that note, Michelle, because actually I was going to ask you this question, with your appointment, obviously, it's a big deal for us in media because where are all the women running companies, right? So for, for a woman like me, I was so excited that you were appointed to the role of Managing Director of the ABC. However, there are a few people who were saying to me, oh, I hope she doesn't stuff up because it will ruin it for all the women. And I, get, and I just get so angry about that for that reason. What? Stuff up. What's Stuff that? up, that's sorry. A, that's an Australian fail. reason for, for screw up. Oh. Fail. I hope she doesn't yeah. fail. 
Um, because if she does, then obviously... No, there's no wood. Michelle, if for some reason Michelle isn't successful, then the implication is that means that no other woman could ever be appointed to that role because it must be because she's a woman. Mm. And, uh, and my answer is always the same. Well, what about all the male, the men that have stuffed up before? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't count. So, you know, how do we counter that? How do we, you know, what do we do about that? How do we change the way that people view female leadership and the, and the res- responsibility that we have as women when we get into a role? And you know, I feel this as the chair of the West Tigers, let me tell you, the first female chair of a football club. Mm in Sydney, I feel that responsibility and people would say that to me, if you if you mess up, no other woman will be appointed to that role. And I think, God, I think of all the men that messed up before me, but they keep appointing men. So how do we change that thinking? Well, I think, I think for me, you know, it is that sense of level playing field, right? I mean, I, I don't think anyone has the luxury right now of underperforming as, as a CEO or a managing director. I mean, the, I think the average tenure of a managing director or CEO anywhere is about three or four years. So when I was the CEO at Star and I hit four years, I thought, I've made it. I do think that a CEO is brought in to perform a role or, you know, a manager is brought in to perform a role. And the more you can really, you know, have an objective sense of what does success look like Mm. and not just appearance of success. You know, one, one of the things that used to drive me a little bit crazy at a former company that will be unnamed is just the the standards around talent identification or particularly kind of female managers who were kind of coming through the system and were being told you don't have executive (coughs) presence and I used to put my hand up you know at the the management meetings and say does that mean tall and have a deep voice you know what like what what's executive presence Mm. like what how does that how does that come out? Mm. You know, it's such a thing though with men and women too. That's yeah. the problem is that mm. we have these images of people that are very hard to shake despite efforts. There's so many efforts to do that, mm. um, and I think it's very hard to. There's, one is there's not a lot of role models, right, who are successful, and so that's going to be difficult for girls who are coming up. There's just not that many role models. And it's, you don't have a lot of people to look up to, mm. which I think is hard. Mm. When Meg Whitman was made CEO of HP, which is an enormous company, she had been a, a CEO of eBay and was successful for most of her tenure. The end was a little rough, but that was due to all kinds of issues. But in general, she grew that company to a really large mm. size. I mean, she was made head of, the, head of HP. I wrote a... a wrote a story and I called Sheryl Sandberg up and I said, now you're the second most powerful woman in tech, you know, because yeah. she it. And she's like, I'd like to be the 10th. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm. Which was really interesting, mm. which she wasn't going to be because there's a small list of them. And I think that's one of the issues is there's almost nobody to look up to. And, and to answer your question, I think it's about critical mass. It's like when there's enough when there are enough women on a board that you're not the woman on the board. Yeah. There's got to be three. Right, exactly. So be yeah, three. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, there's a that percentage. But the role model one is huge. I remember the first time I was at a conference and I saw a woman of colour speak. I was 22, I was like, it was like two and a half years ago. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. It, like, I couldn't believe it. I had never seen a woman of colour in a position of authority. I'd never had an example of what I could aspire to. Yeah. Right. And let alone a Muslim woman like who wears a hijab in this country or around the world, really. It's difficult to be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to imagine yourself in a space like you know, I use the example of if you're a young indigenous girl walking through Parliament House and you look around the faces of the, the people who are in power in that house. How could you ever imagine yourself in that role when nothing around you says that it's possible for you? And it requires that, you know, the, the supreme force of, of character. But 
then what can we do? I think our responsibility is to keep bringing people up. And every time we move on from an opportunity, try to, try to bring people up with us that can, that can allow for that critical mass to occur. Otherwise, uh, people are just going to have to keep re-breaking whatever ceiling is there, I think, anyway. Mm. I think you have to also have men be part of it. I think yeah. that's what, oh, of course, at yes. Harvard, they have this group. I did an interview with them, because I, I went to Harvard, and they asked me to do an interview with some people that are about diversity. And they had, uh, these, this is the worst word ever, it's man ambassadors. <laughs> Jesus, sorry. Like manscaping. (laughs) Um, It was men who had part of this group trying to have women at the Harvard Business School. And it was, they were seeing, they saw an equality in the applicants and then they declined precipitously Mm. with women. Same thing happened at MIT. They went from 30% to 17 or something. The numbers Mm. started to really change. And so they were trying to enlist men in this. And I think that's the part of it. It shouldn't be, you know, a woman's job and unfortunately it, it is a lot of the time and, and a lot of women don't want to speak up on those issues because mm. it's hard it's like you, you have to con- persistently say it because it seems like they can't hear you talking and, um, and but you still have to do it like Cheryl was we were she's on the board of Disney and it's mostly men I think it's largely men and she realized she just had to keep speaking up yeah. over lots of issues so at one point she they were talking about some movies and she said I like princess movies just as much as anybody else, but can we have a princess with a fucking job? Yeah. <laughs> can she have a job? Like, can, she have a, can she be a central character? And so, Lord you know, and she had, she's like, I don't believe I was the one to say it, but I had to, because yeah, yeah. if you look, if you actually look, none of them have jobs. It's a really interesting... Yeah. Um, but, but I do believe it is, it is much broader. I mean, I, I spent the last what, 14, 15 years in, in Asia, and the same constraints around you know, having women in leadership positions were there for, frankly, a- Asian men as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alibaba. Alibaba. Uh, yes, oh, but, but again, if you, if you look at most sort of yeah. you know, global, you know, yeah. particularly Silicon Valley companies, mm-hmm. lots, of, lots of kind of you know, um, people from, from India, but not many from, from East Asia, so mm-hmm. China, Japan, mm-hmm. Korea. And the same issues around you know, women not speaking up are you know, equivalent to, yeah. to actually men in, in particular cultures not speaking up. Yeah. So we were shutting ourselves off from a whole type of diversity and particularly relevance to, to you know, large parts of the, the marketplace yeah. if we mm. only assumed that you know, someone could be a successful executive if they spoke up spoke perfect English, yeah. um, bang the table, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it goes back to that thing around what kind of leadership styles we actually value and talking, mm. and we do talk a lot in corporates about valuing different styles of leadership, but when it comes down to the choice of who do we want at the front of our company, who, who are we going to choose? It's the person that fits what we in, inherently or, or have been socialised to believe is the natural leader. Absolutely, and I think one of the things that's interesting is there's so many statistics that show a diverse company is a successful. It's just, mm. it's just way too many studies to not yeah. to, to wonder why it's being ignored so mm. actively. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to prove it. It's like they should do it because it's a, it makes business sense, and that's what you need to do to convince them to do it. Yeah. They should do it because it's the right thing. Like it's just the right thing to do, and yeah. to try to. Uh, create different kinds of corporate cultures, mm. which I think is very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, re- you know... There is this concept, I mean, you, you said earlier that you don't believe that unconscious bias exists, that it is actually conscious bias. Well, I, I know this scientifically it is, but it's yeah. bullshit. You pick up your head, look at the look across the table, and if there's 10 white men, there's something's wrong, like, right? It's like... <laughs> That's right. Like, we, can, we can see that, and I guess the argument is 
um, you know, can they see it? And, and if they can't, they can if there see is... It. They can see it, and then they're like, oh, we're trying to do something about it. Like, here's people that spend 99% of the year telling you how fucking smart they are, and then they can't solve a problem that's relatively easy to solve it's in comparison. Yeah. It's like literally computing yeah. artificial intelligence to take over everything on the planet, and they can't figure out getting more women in the workplace or people of color. Come on. They go dumb. Like they're like all bubbleheads. I think one of the most one of the most interesting YouTube videos that you should see is actually um, Yasmin's TEDx talk. I don't know if, if you've seen no, it, but um, she talks about unconscious bias and with regards to how she wears her headscarf, and it's really fascinating. So I, I would urge you to have a look at it. Not right now, but it probably uh, terrifies people, right? Um, oh well. So like, I have a, a Muslim woman on my staff, Joanna Bouyan, and she, you should see the. Re it's fascinating. It's like I work ridiculous. on oil rigs as my day job. Yeah, the, <laughs> and uh, You're an engineer. You're yeah, an I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer. engineer. Yeah, yeah. Something that I found fascinating is the way that I style my headscarf changes the way that people interact with it's me. It's flatter. It's okay. Well, if I if I wear it in a way that people see on the news as like Muslim, then I get treated a different way. Like this, people assume I'm fashion forward. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so they're like, she must be cool. I love it. And I literally like people. I will change. Like if I change this. The rap now, when I go downstairs and I go outside, people will look at the street, look at me on the street yeah. differently. And having that experience and, and like the looseness of my pants, right, mm -hmm. will change yeah. the way that people interact with me. And it's these small things that, that signify mm -hmm. uh -huh. certain things to people, whether they realize it or not. Is but but interestingly, what I found in my workplace was that, and this is something that surprised me, was that my gender was more confronting for them than my religion or race. Huh. Mm. Um, and I think part of it was because they just had no benchmark or no kind of idea of how to interact with a woman in a world that had rules that existed. And I think it, uh, sort of in relation to the point of people knowing that something should be different, but it's a little bit too uncomfortable. I tested the TED Talk in front of the boys at work, right? which was hilarious. And I did this, I was like, this is why we need to change things and so on. And then at the end of the guy, excuse my French, the, the guy was like, but Yasmin, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, why should I care? Life is great for me. Like, why should I care about brown people if it doesn't affect me, right? And it was the first time in my life that I was, I had to like take a step and be like, oh, how do I justify caring? How do I justify wanting to make the world? I'm like, don't you want to make the world a better place? He was like, mm. no. <laughs> <laughs> I got mine. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, he was okay. like, I'm more worried about like my wife taking the house, right? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, different problems. <laughs> and so I had to like read like, and and it was the first time I was like, okay, how do I how do I tailor this message to a group of people that don't need to change? Like I know it, it makes business sense to me, and it makes sense to me because I'm the person on the outside. But if you're at the table and you all of a sudden are being told that you have to give up a position of power for somebody else who, mm, yeah. it's uncomfortable. But it, it is interesting though. There's a lot of, of articles in the in the US around you know, when you have male CEOs who have daughters, that they mm. start getting it because then it, it's, wow, what, what is world? the future for my daughters? Right. Although, look at Trump. Yeah, yeah well, that's Honestly, right. Seriously. Absolutely. There's a great piece in the New York Times is they want their wives to be different than their daughters. Mm. He wants a submissive wife and a, and a daughter. And then it's, the idiot brothers said that thing about sexual harassment that you just want to, like, club them with a stake. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You know? and, and then she sits and says nothing. Mm. I know. Nothing. Mm. She's I know. a competent woman to say nothing. And, 
You know, the same thing it, just recently, um, you know, we're not talking about sexual harassment, but it should be a big topic because it's mm. a really endemic problem yeah. in tech, everywhere it is, and, and women mm. tend to cover up and mm. put up with it. I mean, but this latest news, I thought I disliked Rupert Murdoch, but now I really dislike Rupert Murdoch, but the, the whole thing around this Roger Ailes thing, 20 years of behavior that everyone knew was happening. Yeah. And nobody did anything. Mm. It's not just him, because he's just job of the hut, the pig. Like, we yeah. get that. But it's everyone around them tolerating it, facilitating yeah. it, yeah. making payoffs, people watching it happen until Gretchen Carlson finally came forward and, and Megyn Kelly helped it. But it's mm. just, you know, it, it's astonishing. That but I think up. that's one of the reasons why diversity is really critical, because, you know, a, a part of the reason that that can be covered up for so long is because there's a whole bunch of people who are all in the same mind space, right. have determined that this is something that can be kept quiet. And I think, you know, and I guess an example of how things can be looked at differently, hopefully. I chair a rugby league team, and rugby league, I don't know if you know what rugby league is, but it's a little bit like, is it like NFL? Oh, I know what rugby is. You know what it is, yeah, okay. And there, you know, there are examples of players doing really, you know, terrible things to women within our sport. And there was a domestic violence incident last year. And as a woman, I get the call. And I said to the journalist, I want, the, I want a man to own this, so call me after you've spoken to the men. <laughs> I guess I want a male to comment first. And of course, none of them would, so it had, it had to come back to me. And I'm, I was very direct and very, I'm, I'm happy to stick my neck up and you know, <laughs> make a very firm stand against it. But it, that wouldn't have happened if there, wouldn't, if there wasn't a woman involved in right. the sport. So I think that's the reason we need greater diversity, because we need other people to say it's not okay. Although in the case of Murdoch, the, the, the evil PR woman and the evil women yeah. lawyer was right there doing, like, literally. I mean, seriously, if you threw water on that woman, she'd melt, both of them. You know, like, it's, yeah. just, it's just awful. Yeah. But it creates a, a, an environment that there are people, people don't, aren't allowed to speak. And it shouldn't have been you that no, no. spoke up about no, this. And we, we had the same thing in the Ellen Powell trial coverage when we were trying to get male CEOs, mm-hmm. most of whom were male, in tech, we try to get tech CEOs to talk, and not one of them would give us an on-the-record quote about no. the impact of this on their company and this and that. And one of them said, "Kara, it's the third rail. I'm not going to touch it," which was astonishing. Mm. But then, when the, there was a lot of anti-gay stuff in Indiana and then later North Carolina, they lined up around the block to give quotes about wanting to help the gays. Yeah, you know, it was fascinating, yeah. mm. and they just literally wouldn't because Tim Cook is gay. Oh, I like Tim Cook. I'm like, he's not the only gay in Silicon Valley. But <laughs> That's right. It was interesting to yeah. watch. They refused to talk about. Well, they refused to talk about race issues for sure. And there's that interesting piece. It's interesting when there are women in particular that people see that don't necessarily help the cause, as it were, and and sometimes they're people get more upset because they're like, oh, you definitely, like, you are affected by this, why aren't you supporting? But there's this really, the sort of, the neuroscience of the in-group and the out-group. And essentially, once you've been accepted into the in-group of the people that are allowed to be part of the club, as it were, you're not going to to give anyone up. Even if you know that the other person has done something wrong, you're not going to put yourself out there because then you are betraying and that betrayal is, is so much worse. And, and in the case of almost any whistleblower in a major way, they don't, like, they, they have to sacrifice so much and often the human nature is, is not to want to sacrifice. So you also, in your TED Talk, you talked about the merit paradox. So yeah. explain what you mean yeah. by that. So there's this fascinating concept, and you guys might be aware of it, um, that the companies that say that they hire by merit tend to be the companies that are more biased against women or are more biased against diversity because (laughs) people sort of perceive that 
inherently, and I sort of alluded to it earlier, inherently those males, particularly white, are more meritocratous, right? And and the other the other piece is the fact that we think that we live in a meritocracy to begin with, like. We clearly don't. <laughs> like, but, but we sort of, meritocracy comes into play when we start talking about changing things because people want to find a reason not to change things. But it's fascinating that the more you think, and also the more you think that you're a moral person, often the less moral you actually are because you inherently believe you're a good person. So you make decisions based on anything and you, you justify it to yourself, well, I'm a good person, therefore my decisions are good, regardless of whether or not they actually are. And I love asking, put your hand up if you think you're a, you make ethical decisions, and most people put your hand. Yeah. And then I'm like, so you are the least likely in the room to be ethical. Mm. And it makes people feel really uncomfortable. But it's, we don't question our decisions. We don't question the motivations. Often we, our brain receives like 11 million pieces of information uh, a and we only have the processing power for like less than 50. So we make all these shortcuts and what information is this shortcut based on? Mm. Um, and that's kind of where we end up making yeah. faulty, as it were, decisions. And I mean, I do it, yeah. like I talk about this and I make faulty decisions all the time and I make decisions where I'm like, yes, Yasmin, you're a good Muslim girl and then I'll make a decision and be like, mm. but it's about catching ourselves and interrogating the decisions we make in the value Nobody system. wants to give themselves a hard time. I mean, we used to have a 50-50 split of women, pretty good uh, race diversity on our staff, and it was like that for a long time. Mm. And then when we moved over to Vox, uh, several women went over to The Verge and other properties as part of the deal, and then we lost the thing, and now I have all these lovely white guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, we think a lot about in our hiring, we're hiring mm. about five people. We want to hire, obviously, for the most qualified, but I'm challenging our editor to really look hard, mm. like really try a little bit harder yeah, and, on everything. And the, and the real question is where you're looking. I mean, you know, mm. when, when I, I was working for a technology company, um, I, I, I used to get told, well, you know, here's the, the short list. And I said, well, you know, where are, the women? Uh, where are the women? And they would say, well, you know, no women applied, yeah. number one. Yeah. And second, it, it, you know, the way in which our job descriptions were written is, is kind of another issue. But, but also, frankly, we would ask for people to have technology experience. Well, guess what? Yes. Technology, you know, I didn't have technology experience when, when I joined the company. So... You know, there were a lot of women in media, but not many women in tech. So, it, you know, it really, you, you end up with a very kind of skewed funnel. I mean, I used to talk a lot about if there is a war for talent, and if you're only looking at half the talent, then, you know, you're not getting all, you know, you're, you're not maximising your chances. And that's yeah. across, mm. across. Well, that's kind of said, I do think there is, having managed a lot of different people, I, and it's, it's not, I can't make complete conclusions, but I do have to say the men on my staff are more aggressive about asking for things. They just yeah. are mm, mm. super aggressive, even in light of evidence that they are terrible, mm. which is interesting. <laughs> I had a, a person who I was preparing to fire, so I had one of those conversations about how I'm preparing to fire them, telling them how incompetent they are. I'm like, you don't do this right. You need to improve this. You don't do this. You don't do this. You know, it was very tough. It was a very tough discussion. And at the end of it, he said, all right, I hear you. And he goes, and I think I deserve a raise. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, I was Fantastic. sort of like flummoxed. I was like, what? What, what, what I just said for the past 30 minutes indicates that I think you deserve anything but being fired because that's really where I'm going with this. Like, I finally yeah. I had to tell him. Wow. Yeah. And it was, he goes, well, I think I work really hard. I said, I think I could fire you right now because yeah. you're such an idiot. <laughs> and it was really amazing. Yeah. And then we, I had another woman who um, we recently let a couple of people uh, go, but we... 
I wanted her to ask for more. Mm. You know what I mean? Like she mm. didn't ask for more. And same thing with hiring. Yeah. I sit there and I can't make them ask more because I represent mm. the company. Yeah. But I sit there and think, ask more. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I seem like a crazy person, but I do find, I do find except for me, a lot of women don't ask for as much. And it's, yeah. I, I like take them aside later and say, you need to ask for more. Like, to, you know, you, it, it evens against your interests. And mm. I had an encounter with someone who was with my, with my salary and they, were, they tried the, the old trick that men love to do, which was, hey, we're friends, don't be difficult. You know that word, it's like, don't be difficult. Don't, yeah. you know, if you just, we, this is the number we wanna do and I wanted a different number. And they'd try that, like, oh, come on, be nice. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not nice. I want the fucking money. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can be friends. Fine. Yeah. Once you give me the money, I'll be super friendly. Yes. <laughs> so it was really, it was an interesting thing. And I, and I, I don't know why I'm that way, but I always want to grab for my yeah. fair share. And so it's, it, it's an interesting, I have noticed it over and over. No, the same thing happened to me. And I think that that is the one thing that actually, you know, women, you know, that, that um, progress into management, you know, can share with, with women along the way, which is, Men just behave differently. I mean, and it was really only and when I first got my my kind of you know first management role that all these guys came in and asked me for a pay rise. Is this what you do? It's like I've been missing a trick all this time. Yeah, yeah. But do you think that behaviour then? Because I'm, you know, that's exactly my experience too. That men that have worked for me have been much more aggressive with asking for promotions and pay rises. And I've spent a lot of time talking to women and coaching them and about how to ask for more and, you know, and to be more forthright. But if that is one of the characteristics that people are looking for in leadership, do you think that's one of the reasons why there are so few women oh, in leadership? Oh, it's not their fault. It's just you know, money matters. Like money and status matter, and so when you have yeah. the higher status, people—it's just the way it is. And I think, um, you know, again, it's a very well-known thing that women, if they're 110 percent ready, they'll do something. Men, if they're 10 percent yes. ready, will do something. Kind but of. That's thing. a confidence thing, isn't it? And so, yeah. it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's confidence or a natural space-takingness. <laughs> but if I was the board of a company, uh, sorry, if I was the chair of a company, and I was looking to appoint women, and I felt that the men were more confident, or the, you know, they're more aggressive in asking for things. If that's a characteristic that I value in leadership, because that's my own, that's my lens, because we're saying that, that you know, there's no diversity, then maybe that's one of the reasons why there are fewer women currently. Well, you know, a, a lot of the advice I, I would give to women in my teams is if you're asked, you know, to stretch yourself and do something, say yes, then go home to yes. your spouse, yeah. your friend, go, what the hell am I doing? But don't work say, it out. You, work, <laughs> no, you don't need to say all that stuff out loud. Yes. Um, and, and I think there's a yeah. bit of that. And, and I don't know that that's a confidence thing. I, I'm, you know, my, my sense is that I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm lacking in confidence, but mm. the number of jobs I've applied for, where I think oh, there's no chance. Um, and it's well, you almost I, talked yourself out of your ABC did. job, didn't I you? Did. <laughs> so, so I almost want to ask, as someone who's at the beginning of their career, right? So there's a, there's a couple of things. One is that the reaction of people to a woman who wants more is different to the reaction of people to yeah. a man that wants more. We have that paradox of, well, she's not really nice. She's a bit ambitious. We don't really like her. So there's that piece. The other piece is, should we accept that that's the way it is? Or should we actually change the system and say that that style of leadership 
isn't okay. And that's a hyper-masculine type of leadership that maybe worked in the industrialization age, but we're in a, you know, a world where we want everyone to split the care of their kids and we want gender roles to change. So actually we want our leadership styles to change. And then what role do we have as women in different industries to try to force that? And is that another sort of the, the, critical, the critical mass pieces? And some research came out about confidence and it said like generally women under sell themselves by 20% and men generally oversell themselves by 30%. So you've got a 50% gap. When I, when I read that, I was like, oh, mate. <laughs> and then I found out. So I did, um, I got a job and I came in with two years engineering experience on the field, really good. And a guy from uni, <laughs> the same university, an entire point and a half GPA less than me, had done vacation work, had pitched to get more money than me, got more money than me. I had asked if I could get more money. They were like, no, this is a standard graduate salary, right? When I asked about the pay, I was like, I literally have two years full-on experience, right, compared to this other person. They were like, how dare you speak about money yeah. to your counterparts, yeah. right? Well, Erica and, Joy got in that trouble it's, uh, at yeah. Google, at right. Google for publishing salary information. Right, and so it's like, and then I, I, was, I was flummoxed to use that word. Like, I am someone who talks a lot about this stuff and, you know, really believes in it. And then all of a sudden in my world, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do now. What and did I you don't... do then? What did you do? Nothing, because I didn't... See, the response there was, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, and then, and, and then I guess, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but I probably wouldn't have kept the job. Not so. Mm, I, but I think that's what it comes down to. I think that we as women feel like we're not going to keep the job. We feel like that someone's going to sack us if we if we speak up. And for some reason, and I don't know whether it's the way men are... I have the opposite. Based. I think once you do speak up, they never cross you again. I mean, we had, I had a, yeah. an encounter. I think I need you in my life. I was at a Google Zeitgeist, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but it was someone well-known in the United States. Uh, uh, of a major media organization. And I was sitting with Ariana Huffington, who's quite confident, and we were talking, and I know Ariana really well, I've known her for years, and we were discussing, and it, this man came up to us and said, oh, look at you two, Ariana and Kara, aren't you special? That's another one of those things. Aren't you special? Mm. It's designed yeah. to be diminutive. And I looked at him, I go, you know what? We are fucking special, which is why neither of us ever worked for you. <laughs> And then, of course, he went into the, oh, oh, well, I didn't mean anything by it. And I said, you meant everything by that. You were trying to diminish us as women. You tried to, because the answer to that is, no, no, we're not special. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no, please don't look at us. And I was like, she's friggin' fantastic. I'm fantastic. We're incredibly special. You, you inherited the money you got. You got, <laughs> you got your job because you were born. So yeah. get the fuck away from us. And that's, <laughs> he never has crossed me. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And that media organization offered me a job relatively recently. <laughs> Do you think I can't that would look work in Australia? What? Do you think that would work in yes. Australia? Yes, yes. I, I, I do think, I think there, we have more power than we think. We absolutely believe, you know, have more power than we think. I, I, again, um, you know... Well, you have to be good. Yeah, uh, you, uh, that's a given. Course, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's right. Again, when, when I, I talk to kind of, you know, women within my teams mm. or organisations, it's really around take some risks. Yeah. What's the worst <laughs> that can happen to you? You get fired. Okay, yeah. you're pretty goddamn employable. I mean, you know, you've... A woman, you've, are you yeah. kidding? A Muslim woman engineer? You, can, <laughs> <laughs> you come to Silicon Valley, I'll get that's you right. 83. <laughs> we should chat. Yeah, yeah. So it is that yeah. sense of, yeah. again, like what's the worst firm. that can happen? Like, if yes. if like you're nine. stretched to a role that you can't, you don't yes. think you can do perfectly, 
just try. Yeah. You know, actually, you'll surprise yourself. It's a bullying thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. really. I was just talking, my sons are here in the back. They're probably horrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking about Trump, and, you know, we were wondering if he was going to bring up at the debate Bill Clinton's marriage issues. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what should she say? And that'll put her back on her heels when he brings it up. And I said, here's what she should say Donald. As someone who cheats on several of your wives, yeah. you would know the problems Bill has. Like, yeah. like turn it on to him. Yeah. I stayed with my husband. Your wives all left you. So I don't know. Like, it seems like we both, you know. He I just, really like, want to see that conversation she happen. Won't, she, yeah. won't do. she won't do it. She may do it, but she should. Because, mm. yeah. like, he's trying to throw her back on her heels on something mm. that he himself. It was yeah. really interesting to think about that you can say things mm. and push mm. back. And that's, by the way, that's when people mm. like Hillary yeah. Clinton. Guess what? You know why her polls are up? Besides, Donald says something stupid every five minutes. Is she was confident in that? She was very confident in that speech. And everybody likes, not everybody likes Hillary Clinton. She's got issues, but she's super confident at what she does. Mm. And so, everybody likes when she puts on those sunglasses and does the BlackBerry. They like that Hillary, <laughs> like or at Benghazi, the hearing. She's like, "Fuck you, fuck you," and, you, and they like that. And so, whenever she projects a confidence, it does. She seems to go up a whole lot more, yeah. which is interesting. So there's the theory, and you said it earlier, that you, know, you can't be what you, what you can't see. So the, you know, as soon as we get a female prime minister, you get a female president. And then suddenly there's the theory that um, young girls everywhere will aspire to be um, prime ministers and presidents, and I think, you know, which is brilliant, and managing directors and CEOs and chairs. But I guess my concern is it's not going to happen fast enough if we just wait for the next generation to suddenly start to dream about what might happen in the future. So how do you feel about quotas? I, I, it's an interesting question. I think they do it in Europe. It's an interesting yeah. way to work. I think they just wouldn't be accepted in the United States. They just, ugh. You can't get rid of basic machine guns on the streets. They're not going to do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just not, they're not going to accept it. We've got a real crazy group of very noisy citizens that think the government is about to knock their door down. Mm. I think of it as a useful tool mm. in a toolbox to change things because, again, I come back to this thing of it's change is uncomfortable and people aren't necessarily going to do it if they don't if they aren't made to if they don't think there's a, a reason for them to I used to be really anti it because I would be like well I just want people to see me as an engineer and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then one of the lads at work was like Yasmin I don't know why you women get all caught up in the whole thing about quotas if someone was going to give me a job because I was a bloke I'd be like yeah <laughs> and I was like there's the inherent difference we are always asking to be given an equal footing. And then when we're offered an opportunity, we're like, I don't really like how that's packaged. I'm not really sure if I'm okay because I think people are gonna think less of me because of the fact I was brought in on this. Mate, just yeah. grab it and run with it. And I mean, the number of things that I've been given as the token brown Muslim young person, right? <laughs> like, so, they could put three of my face, right, to fill. Um, but. I could, and, and I remember like another Muslim girl asking me once, she was like, don't you think you orientalize yourself by saying yes to all of these opportunities because you know, you're the token? And I'm like, well, I could be like, look, sorry, I don't like how you've given this opportunity to me. Or I could be like, thank you, let me bring all the other brown people. Yeah. Or thank you, let me show you how great I am at this so that I will get the seat and then crash the table as it were, as opposed to sort of sitting on the outside and continuing to complain. I mean, I, I do think no woman wants to, you know, say that they got their job because of a quota. I mean, I, I certainly would feel very uncomfortable with that. But, you know, it, it does come down to, to merit, right? And, and my sense is if there is a target um, and, you know, 
board roles is, is sort of yeah. one of those and, and you know, actually having having 30% of women on boards or, or whatever else. Yeah. I feel, you know, pretty confident that if I got onto a board, I'd be damn good at it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, it, it, it is a, a real sense of, mm. of, you know, how do you get through some of the... the discussion between quotas and targets. I actually think targets are, and, yeah. and really kind of strong targets, stretch yeah. targets, yeah. and targets that you just measure against. I mean, I don't, I don't think data lies. And, no. and when, you become, when, when you become very focused around, around targets, and you know, we, have, we have those targets at, at the ABC around, around female executives, around female technologists, around you know, our, our indigenous hiring, brings the question of, of mm. why can't we? Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if what we're trying to just do as, as an organisation is reflect the community in which we, we operate. We absolutely should, should yeah. be thinking about that. a great idea. I prefer yeah. mockery and shame. That's my okay. <laughs> I do. Name and shame. Um, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago, many years ago, called The Men and No Women of the Facebook Management oh, yeah. Staff. Mm. And I just put their pictures up. And I made funny captions to them. Like, I'm like, look, a white guy. Oh, another one. Look, here's the, here's the Asian guy. Not a woman. He looks a little feminine, but no, it's a man. And I just did this. And I, I remember Mark Zuckerberg, like, this is not nice. You know, like, I, uh, and I was like, look, I just put up the pictures. It's your staff. And I love some way of kind of representing that data as well. I mean, I've, I've been to a conference where there are more... CEOs named John than there are female CEOs in the yeah, US. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was. It's, yeah. so what? Yeah, <laughs> and you start sort of thinking that through, and think, you should put that on your your things. I mean, we do it all the yeah. time, and it's like, oh, Kara's haranguing against the thing again. But we did. I'm going to do another one soon. But we did the men and the women of Web 2.0 boards. Yeah. And like, we just showed pictures. Here's the pictures. Guess what? There's a sexual harassment problem here. Oh, look at this board. And so it's, it's, it really is, it does cause conversation to happen. I think it does make people embarrassed by what they're doing. When I did the Web 2.0 boards, the guy who was then the CEO of uh, Groupon, Andrew Mason, you know, he's super nice, but he's, a, he's literally like a hothouse flower or, or a piece of paper mache. And he's like, oh, Kara, I'm really hurt by this. I'm really upset. And I know, I, I, what should I do? And I was like, what? You're the CEO of a freaking company. You can hire whoever you want. You know what I mean? Like, it was sort of crazy. And then he actually said to me, can, I, can you give me names? I'm like, no, I can't. You, I could, but I'm not going to because you need to do that work yourself. And it was really, you know, he, he, wanted, he wanted me to comfort him for feeling badly about his terrible, awful board. And by the way, that company's sucking now. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's not, there's not a, co well, yeah, there is a correlation. But, but it was really interesting that if, as long as you keep saying, look, 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 yeah. look, and have physical pictures, visuals are really great, mm. they can't avoid it. I think you one of the notice. things that targets, targets or quotas, whatever you call it, does is at least make people realise that there is a need, that there is an issue. And I think it comes back to this, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that, that you know, sometimes people don't realise for whatever reason, even if they, don't, even if they choose not to realise. I know that the reason that I'm on a male sports board is because of a target. Okay, so they they needed they wanted to have a woman. So when they interviewed for three independent directors, they wanted one woman. And the great thing for my board is that the quality of females was so high that of the three, two women were appointed, and they only had to appoint one. So it made them look at mm. the quality of candidates. And I think yeah. that's that for me is the great thing. And then recently, the three became two because of the change of governance structure and kept the two women, and they did it based on merit. So. I think it's really important to have targets to shine the spotlight on 
what it's, they don't. It's too, it's too bad like. we do. I mean, honestly, that we have to ask for things is ridiculous. Like, we made all these people. By the way, all you women made the people here. Yeah. <laughs> so if you I make know, people, yeah. you get I know, to. No, but it's frustrating because there's still so many companies that don't have women in leadership that don't, you know, in lots of industries, lots of organisations, it's widespread. It's not just technology or just media. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of organisations. Um, and there's still a long way to go. So, you know, if not quotas, what else can we do? to change things quickly? There's, there's a number of things. Like one is definitely continuing to have the conversation and to continue having the conversation, not necessarily with people that agree with us, but with people that don't. And, and I think it's especially important to make sure that we're engaging with people that don't agree because that's A, how we, like you ensure that you're also challenging where you are at and making sure you're as robust as possible in that, but also like opening up more people to a different viewpoint and then getting more people invested in the outcome. It always ends up being a small group of agitators that make something happen. But the more and more people that are like, actually, yeah, maybe that is a good idea and kind of making it making them feel like it is their idea. It's always helpful if someone's like, oh, yes, well, I brought these three women and they're fantastic and it was all my idea. And even though you may have seeded it and even though, you know, it's, it is that human thing of having people feeling flattered, et cetera, et cetera. The powerful thing about targets is that it forces you to look outside what you already kind of see as valuable, but also not just think of diversity as gender-based. Think of it as racial think of it as religious think of it as even class and I think it's really socioeconomic like socioeconomic is enormous and if their language isn't perfect and if they're not polished give them a chance and it will require extra effort but we've got to put that extra effort in because if if I compare my life to the life of somebody who you know perhaps didn't have educated parents and didn't grow up in the place that I did I've, they've got 25 years of having conversations around political issues to catch up yeah. Right. So, of course, I'm going to have a better way of articulating something. But that doesn't mean I'm any or that doesn't mean they're any. I really like your hopefulness. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I'm a, I, I still think you have to confront people and very yeah. toughly. I think it's really yeah. important. I'll tell one quick story. Look, the, fa the fact of the matter is a lot of these people just have to die. Right. We just yeah. have to like we just got to kill them off or just die. <laughs> yeah. um, when I, I was at this dinner party in Silicon Valley, it's around gay issues. Mm. Uh, I'm gay. And we. We were at this dinner party, and there was this old VC there, and it was it was about 10, 12 people at a table, and it, Proposition 8 was in the, mm. the news in California, which was the anti-gay yeah. uh, marriage thing, and and he said he started first saying, making that horrible always lesbian joke, I like lesbians, <laughs> like piggish, like freaking <laughs> kidding me, you just said that porn, you porny old man, and he started with that, and I was like, all right, let's see where this goes, and then. Excuse me for saying something gross, but it was, it was he said it. And he goes, you know, I, I got to say, I like those things, but you know what? I don't like gay male sex. He said it like that in the middle of a dinner party. And everyone was sort of like, let, was letting it go. And I went, hey, if you don't like gay male sex, you got to stop having it. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, you said you don't like it. I said, there's zucchini on my plate. I'm not eating it because I don't like zucchini. I don't like zucchini, I don't do it. If you don't like gay male sex, why are you having it? Yeah. He said, I didn't say I was having it. I go, no, you said you don't like it, and therefore you must have had it if you know if you liked it or didn't like it. And he, you know, everyone was like, let him go. I'm like, no, I'm going to make a point to this fucking asshole. I said, you need to, have to stop to have gay male sex. He goes, I've never had gay male sex. This has went on, it was great. And he goes, he goes I go, well, why did you just say you did? 
and, and I go, he goes, I didn't. I said, no, you said, you don't like it. Like, and so he literally was like, I never had gay male sex. And I said, well, why are you talking about it at all? What's it your business? Why you? And it was like, it was one of the best moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, here was someone who had total homophobia up yeah. and down. But he was never going to do that again. Never. No, like, never. No, he could no. do it by himself in his sad little closet, like, wherever he was. I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he can stay there as long as he wants. And he can have those opinions. Yeah. And, you know, what you're seeing in this election, you're seeing all that rage come out among yeah. white, poor white men who have lots of issues yeah. um, and are seeing power pulled away from them, yeah. justifiably, but still are, are articulating there. Mm -hmm. And if you, I think what we do is we tend to let that stuff continue. Yep. And if we say that's not acceptable, we should call it out. Call it out all the time. It, it just, it really does have an impact on people. I think that works in theory, but I also think that sometimes doesn't work with particular power dynamics. What's the cost? You lose a job, get another one. I'm just telling you, there's not yeah, a cost. I, mean, I always okay. think, I believe That's okay me. for me because I have some safety net, but most people that are, you know. But they do. That's not actually true. It's not, it, it, often it is not they think they are in positions of powerlessness when they are not. And they can be, people, one of the things that's great about the internet is people can now speak out. They can mm. say things, they can do things. And you know, it, it's, there's never been a more time to be more powerful in speaking to power than, but if you don't do it, you just end up, you get what you always got, mm. I think. You just do. I, w I want to believe you. I want to believe I like you. your hopefulness thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think all people are great. I'm I, I think all people are great. I think there's massive structural inequality, and that for me is harder to dismantle. I think when you know Black Twitter and Black Lives Matter is so strong, and yet white cops can still get. Yes, but we're talking about it like crazy. Like it really, yeah, I get that's true. Is that is true. Happen. That is true. At the same time. It, the, 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 what's happened in this, I mean, every American's upset right now, just so you know, <laughs> just whenever you're going to meet them, they feel not good about the universe. <laughs> but it, it is bringing out really difficult issues that mm. people are discussing. And That's I don't true. think it's going to get shoved down, back down in the hole, in the hole anymore. I don't. I, I, I mean, it may not progress mm. the way you want it to, but it's hard to deny that it's not an issue. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com slash subscribe. We've just announced the annual finalists for the Walkley Awards, so be the first to hear who wins on December 2nd. And check out the finalists' work on walkleys.com. You can subscribe to the Walkley Talks podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. And if you like it, an iTunes reading would be real handy. Or send us some money at walkleys.com slash donate to help us keep going. Walkley Talks is produced by me, Kate Golden, for the Walkley Foundation at the two SER studios in Sydney, Australia. And this episode was edited by Nina Kopel. Till next time. <laughs>